paying down the debt on the same day as he had to make this very difficult and public decision to get rid of Licht was going to at least placate and, and appease Wall Street, which at the end of the day is where Zaz is most rewarded. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, June 12th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I discuss the drama at CNN and the firing of CEO Chris Licht and what it says about David Zaslav, the man at the top of CNN's parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery. And we dig into the other big drama in cable, Fox News going to legal war with their former star, Tucker Carlson, after Tucker launched his own new show on Twitter. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Monday, everybody. Welcome to Media Monday. This is my first Media Monday back from a little bit of a vacation. How are you doing, John Kelly? It's good to see you again on the Zoom. I'm good, man. I really missed you, although it was great to watch you and Katie gallivant all throughout South Africa, as you should (laughs) on the most blissful uh, two weeks of your life. I'm thrilled to see you over Zoom, and I can't wait to be back in Southern California and give you a big old bear hug. Oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. You were um, asked about at the wedding. Everyone was referring to you as a disembodied voice. They wanted to meet ah! some people. Some people wanted to come over and genuflect, and some people were actually a little intimidated by you. And I was like, John's Whoa. the nicest dude in the world. Like, you know, like oh, random relatives so or friends. And I was like, go say hi. Anyway, thank you for coming. You were a welcome and cherished guest and friend and boss man. Um, Hey, you know, a lot of big stories went down in media when I was gone. Obviously, uh, the biggest one that happened right when he came back, Dylan covered the shit out of, and that was the firing of Chris Lick from CNN. Obviously, Dylan's been all over that story since day one, honestly, all over the CNN story since joining Puck and covering the exit of Jeff Zucker and the Chris Cuomo drama. Look, I mean, Dylan's been on every podcast in the world over the last few days talking about Mm. this, but there's a reason we have Media Monday with me and you. It's because you have some good insights on this stuff, too. I'm curious what this whole licked controversy, downfall, scandal, headache says not just about him and CNN, but also about David Zaslov. What's your take on that? Well, you know, Dylan uh, had some really great work last week that absolutely opened the aperture onto Zaz. And I think that that that's where it's going to stay for now. This was the first really considerable sort of mini grenade of his stewardship. But here's the reality, and I think it's twofold. The market doesn't care about this. Uh, I heard Scott and Kara were talking about uh, a WBD stock pop pivot on Friday. But what actually happened was that Zaz paid down another billion and change on the debt when he bought the company. 
he also acquired the AT&T debt, uh, which was around $50. And it's been paid down to, I think, I think just shy of 45, somewhere around there. And mm-hmm. that's really excited Wall Street analysts because they see that he's serious about paying down the debt and that he doesn't want to continue to lever up this company. And Zaz, as you know, I, <laughs> I say all the time, I think Zaz is a brilliant operator and a pretty savvy PR guy as well. And so he recognized, I assume, or was maybe prodded by Dave Levy or Nathaniel Brown or some other IR genius there that paying down the debt on the same day as he had to make this very difficult and public decision to get rid of Licht was going to at least placate and, and appease Wall Street, which at the end of the day is where Zaz is most rewarded as much as the guy may like press. He has a comp package that you know pays him a couple hundred million dollars if he can move the stock and that's what he's going to do. But here's the other thing. I don't think that the employees inside CNN, producers, on-air talent, broadcasters, reporters, managers, videographers, etc., I don't think they feel like they're out of the woods. Yes, they're relieved that Licht is gone. It's pretty clear that he was a disliked character. But we now know, and they now know, that there is still a different vision for CNN. And it's not even about the politics and moving it to the center. You know, God, if Lick had it to, to do it all over again, I'm sure he would have just tried to move to the center without making it seem like it was a calling from God to do so and, and invoking it every 12 seconds. <laughs> but there's a business model problem at CNN. It's moving from this steady recurring revenue carriage fee business model to life over the top. One day in a couple of years, as fewer and fewer and tens of millions fewer people subscribe to cable, fewer will subscribe to CNN. So CNN will become a tile on the Max, you know, what used to be the HBO Max uh, bundle. (laughs) And what do those economics look like? I have no earthly idea. I guarantee you, however, that Zaz and Gunnar Wiedenfeld as a CFO and his whole team are trying to figure out what sustainable looks like so that they can manage this transition while CNN continues to make less and less revenue. I know that WBD executives like to say that, well, you know, the 2022 revenue was a miss off of the Zucker years because of the impairment charge they took from CNN plus baloney. That's just one piece of it. They know better than anyone that CNN is going to be a smaller business and managing it there means managing the margins. And that's what's next for CNN. And whoever comes in, is going to equally co-sign that vision. They will be more experienced, they will be more emotionally intelligent, more socially adroit, but there's no question that Zaz knows what the economic realities are, and he will find a steward who is absolutely in line with that endeavor. Yeah, Ben Smith actually had a pretty good piece at, at Semaphore. Sorry, Ben, good piece, not just pretty good piece. Just, you know, saying about cable news and CNN, what's just sort of obvious, but you don't have to make like a grand sweeping statement about this stuff. And he was just saying like, you know, I don't think there's going to be Big Bang or some apocalypse coming around the corner. It's just cable news is just going to compete with everything and nothing. And it's just going to continue to wither and people will watch it in certain moments and they won't. But Belny uh, wrote about this in a (laughs) pretty savage way for Puck. And he noted that Media Radar (laughs) The ad firm said that CNN saw a nearly 40% drop in advertising revenue in the first four months of this year compared to the same period last year before Lick took over. And he rightly points out that's partly because of the softening stock market, the ad market generally, you know, and we all know that some of this is, is the 
the Trump show going away and people are just allergic to political news a little bit more now. But Bellany said this is partly the result of CNN purposefully becoming a product that nobody cared about, (laughs) which is pretty brutal. And like, look, CNN oversaw its uh, huge decline in trust during the Jeff Zucker years. And right before Chris was hired, YouGov did a poll. CNN was at the bottom of the barrel, both in terms of trust and polarization. Mm -hmm. There was some damage done before Chris Lick took over to the brand. But yeah, I mean, the eyeballs went even further south after Chris took over. No one knew what it was. Dan Pfeiffer wrote a pretty um, smart piece about this in his Substack, uh, the former Obama communications director, Crooked Media Scion, uh, that look, there is actually a middle out there. There are a lot of swing voters. There are a lot of sort of independents and people who aren't addicted to cable news, but they just aren't the same people that are tuning in to watch TV. And he made the astute point that, yes, while there is a big moderate slash low information middle in this country, CNN had a really hard time chasing those people because those are the kind of people that don't want to watch cable news or TV news Mm -hmm. or get on Twitter. The people that do want to flip on cable news are the partisans and CNN is just caught uh, in that in that middle and it's very it's going to be very very tough for them moving forward. You know, it's funny in the last number of days as we've been dealing with these Canadian wildfires in the Northeast, I've wanted nothing more than to turn on CNN at night and find out what the fuck is going on. On the middle of on Tuesday afternoon at, at two thirty, it looked like we were in the dust bowl out there, and I turned on later in the week in prime time to try and get an update. And there's a Mike Pence town hall with Dana Bash, where, where both of them look incredibly neutered. Everyone looks like they're just, they're just kind of mugging for a camera. So there are a couple issues here. One is that it's hard to recall when precisely it happened. And and maybe it's around the time of, of the recount 23 years ago now mm-hmm. in the hanging mm-hmm. chat. But politics doesn't have to be the center of news. And yet that's what that's just what happened. And that's and that's what mm-hmm. it became. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we mentioned a, a moment ago, you know, Licht could have pulled off a version of this pit by basically just putting an apple in Jim Acosta's mouth and, and lowering the temperature on the chirons. He didn't have to browbeat the entire time he was he was yeah. doing it. But I think also, and we just have to be honest about this, and, and this is actually a point that Galloway has made uh, excellently, we are living in a nicheified world, especially when it comes to media. What we're seeing in cable is really profound. We're basically going from the era of the three networks to the whatever multi-tributary universe. It, it's already happened on the right where uh, you know Fox has sort of begun to recognize that there's going to be an OAN that might one day eat its lunch. And then there's this whole Ben Shapiro universe beyond that. Now, the economics mm. haven't totally caught up. But to your previous point, eyeballs and scale don't make for great business. BuzzFeed is, you know, which is a, at a hundred million dollar market capitalization, which is astonishingly low, is no better example of that. You know, that you, you couldn't possibly find one. So it's not just about the ratings, but it's about recognizing that there are going to be more options that compete with CNN. And C- CNN, as we knew it, just isn't going to be what CNN is in the future. And what's so funny to me, part of the, the Lick departure has, you know, I think provided a kind of retrospective moment for a lot of us as we look back in the last 13 months. And here's what has stood out to me. All these networks have gone through a version of this, whether it's ABC News or MSNBC, they've all gone through a kind of humbling, a moment when not only is 
Jeff, was Jeff Zucker sort of too big for CNN in some ways, but Noah Oppenheim became too big for NBC News. Mm-hmm. James Goldstein became too big for ABC News. Everything got smaller. MSNBC got smaller. But the talent inside CNN just couldn't come to terms with that. Their view of themselves and their place in the culture is just a collinear with reality. And I think that that's the real work that Zaz and Dave Levy and, and company have before them, is to figure out a way to sort of not just right-size the business, but also right-size the, uh, the sense of self of the, the pillars inside of it. All right, John, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about Fox News going to legal war with Tucker Carlson after Tucker launched his own new show on Twitter. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking, I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are are pancakes i love pancakes more than waffles more than french toast a couple of my favorites so far the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites i love egg bites discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed so sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back to the Powers That Be Media Monday, everybody. The other big story in media last week was also one of cable news, but of a network that people are watching, and that's Fox News. Fox, according to Axios, notified Tucker Carlson that their former primetime anchor who had been fired uh, a couple months ago is in breach of his contract because he launched his own new show on Twitter. I don't think we know all the inside legal details here, but it seems like Tucker is violating what Fox thinks is is a non-compete clause. Is that right, John? That he's basically, when he was let go, when they mutually agreed to part ways, Tucker and Fox said, you can't go work anywhere else for a certain period of years. I assume most people listening to this are familiar with how a non-compete works, but it is interesting. Like, does a non-compete apply 
when it comes to a tech platform. Given our previous segment in which we talked about how CNN competes with everything these days, <laughs> you know, it probably is. But I'm curious what your take on this is. You know, I think that there's going to be some clever lawyering this, but it's pretty clear that Tucker Carlson is doing the exact same thing on a over-the-top platform. And in this case, it just happens to be mm-hmm. Twitter because Twitter is run by a guy who has center-right and now increasingly far-right politics and has a mischievous personality and seems to have also been looking for just this kind of jolt at just this moment. So I don't think Tucker's got a case here, and he's not in California too, which would be um, a sort of maybe AB5 him out of some of some of the restrictions. When I look at this scenario, all I can see is a guy who just seems desperate to try and maintain his relevance. And this will be a test of how will, how far he's willing to go. Fox has a very clear cut in, in their mind legal argument. It seems like Tucker is arguing on a technicality. I don't know. He's got some sort of handshake agreement with Elon and David Sachs to legally backstop him. But if this were to, to go to arbitration, it seems relatively black and white. He's creating essentially a studio show, he's just broadcasting it over digital pipes rather than traditional broadcasting Mm -hmm. cable. Mm -hmm. What do you think, though? I mean, I have perspective on this. Maybe I might be the only person I can think of, actually, who has done something similar to Tucker Carlson, which is I worked at CNN without getting into the nitty gritty. I was under a contract and asked to be let out of my contract to go join Snapchat and do news at Snap. And look, this was 2015. I think TV and media contracts hadn't caught up with the times yet. And CNN wasn't super psyched about it at first. And they suggested that I would be violating a non-compete if I left to go to Snap. It was pretty clear in the language of the contract that was not the case. And they were overstepping again at the time. 2015, People were still, especially official media, was still figuring out that this digital slash streaming thing was coming along. (laughs) A lot of us saw around the bend. Some people didn't. And, you know, it said you can't, I forget what the language of my contract said, but it was basically like, can't go do similar stuff for another news organization. And so like that Mm -hmm. really didn't inhibit me joining Snapchat, even though they claimed it did. You know, long story short, CNN finally graciously let me out of my contract to go do the snap stuff. And I'm so happy that happened. I do assume though, especially when you're at someone like Tucker Carlson's level, I was not at his level in terms of pure fame, that lawyers in the digital era have rewritten the contracts to basically include in a non-compete what you're saying this Twitter show is, which is a the same kind of shit just like streaming and on demand, right, Uh, on another set of pipes. And that's where I think Fox is probably has a pretty strong case against him. I have a question for you, though, which is I actually haven't. There's lots of bits and pieces of news I'm still catching up on from the honeymoon. I saw Tucker launch this show on Twitter. How is he monetizing it? Like, is he getting paid? Is, is, Is Elon paying him out of pocket? Is he running ads against this thing? Like, do you know the deal? <laughs> or does he just have enough money from this Fox exit that he can do stuff for free? My sense here is that Tucker is self-funding and uh, he, he's done well enough and, and that Twitter's obviously giving him some support. I don't know what 
if the how much of the support is financial, it seems like they're obviously boosting him. Uh, when I saw David Sachs on Twitter the other day, you know, a, a sort mm-hmm. of Elon buddy, uh, you know, and successful entrepreneur, obviously in his own right, you know, he pointed to a, a view count that was like in the you know ninety million range, and I assume that Twitter can manufacture that if it wants to. They can. They oh, can let get me this, let me speak up. Let me speak up here as a resident tech guy who works at a platform and understands some of the ad sales and the narratives that. that <laughs> happen at these places. This is a problem with Facebook a while back with like Facebook watch or whatever product that was like they counted it one second as a view. I mean, there's like apples sure. to oranges with like, look, Nielsen is obviously a deeply flawed in terms of measurement, but like, yeah, I mean, I just pulled up Tucker Carlson episode two. It has 45 million engagements or impressions. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, does that mean someone scrolled past it? Does that mean someone shared it? It could be, the amount of people, in other words, sitting down to watch all 15 minutes of the show straight is probably drastically less than 40. Yeah, we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah. But at the same time, it's hard to know what success looks like for Tucker on Twitter. You know, I think that we've already seen that the Daily Wire guys have run into a couple issues with, with Twitter leadership where it's unclear, you know, what the initial deal terms, what the expectations were. But this isn't a money printing machine. And I have to assume that someone like Tucker Carlson is used to getting a fat, healthy, handsome salary showing up somewhere where everyone is paid by a mothership and doing his thing for an hour a night. Entrepreneurship is different. And, you know, Twitter is basically a $44 billion acquisition startup. And Mm -hmm. I do wonder how much of an appetite he has for this. And I also wonder, too, how much loyalty or fealty he truly perceives from Elon Musk. I don't think that Elon Musk would remain loyal to anyone if, if they pissed him off. And and I just have to assume that they have different things in mind here uh, and that Elon is more of a try before you buy kind of guy and that, <laughs> and that Tucker might be looking for the after having just gotten uh, divorced from one major right-wing media company, might be kind of hoping that he can just walk across the street and fall in love with the mm-hmm. the new uh, enormous right-wing media company. And I just don't think it's going to be that simple. And the fact that he didn't take any meaningful time off to resurrect his show just makes me think that th- this could end up becoming very, very dangerous. It's very reactive, and he seems blind with rage here and Mm. the lawyers if they do nothing else peter they could just slow him down and slow him down considerably and twitter has a ceo now in linda yaccarina whatever people think about her how much of a legal risk does she want to take at one point does does twitter become a party in this does does she want to not have to deal with this stuff these are all going to become complexifiers and and as the complexifiers add up i i think uh carlson's going to end up uh, becoming more and more on his own yeah, I mean, that that's an interesting backdrop to all this, that the question of Tucker's power outside of Fox, right? that when he was essentially let go, my snap take was thinking about Bill O'Reilly and Glenn Beck. You know, these people were extraordinarily powerful voices when they were in Fox primetime. When they left without Fox, again, much more of a pre-social media era, their power withered and Fox survived and filled those time slots and grew and grew and grew. But when Tucker was let go, a few you know people in, in conservative media reached out to me and they were like, I think Tucker's bigger than Fox. And that's being tested right now. The ratings are down in his time slot on Fox, but they're still beating their rivals. And you know it feels like with time, that's something that, that can recover. And so Tucker, yeah, maybe he's trying to remain relevant and realizes that Fox 
might be more powerful. We'll, I mean, we'll see. I mean, this has only been happening for a couple months and it'll take time to sort out. John, have a great week, buddy. Thank you. It's great to be back here on Media Monday. And I will see you in the Slack. I'll see you there, man. Welcome back. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.